Well, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through 8. So if you guys want to turn there. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. If not, it will be on the screen. All right, here it is. And it says, An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aram, Aram fathered Amminadab, Amminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, uh, we are gathered here in your presence to celebrate the birth of the Christ, the Messiah, who came into this world, who, who incarnated himself in our flesh and blood uh, so that we might ultimately be saved uh, from ourselves, from our sin, and that we might be able to enter into your presence as the living God to worship you as our God and Father, our King, our Shepherd. And I pray as we do that now that uh, you would uh, open our hearts as we just sang. Lord God, that it's only by your spirit that we're able to trust and believe and, and, and uh, follow you. We ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, this is the season of Advent and uh, the life of the church. So churches all throughout the world right now are celebrating uh, Advent. And Advent, the, the word simply means arrival, right? So in Advent, we're celebrating the arrival of the baby Jesus. Uh, but not only that, we're, we're celebrating his arrival to come again. He promised that he was going to come uh, and return again. And uh, what better way to celebrate the birth of Christ than looking at an ancient list of names? Uh, yeah, I know you guys are excited about that list of names, right? Uh, yeah, this is going to be good. Uh, so this is the way the Bible introduces us to the most important and influential person in human history is a list of names, right? And Jesus is the most important and influential person in history. There would be no Christmas without Jesus, by the way. Just look it up. No Christmas without Jesus. It seems strange, isn't it, that when we're introduced to the story of Jesus, we run into this, uh, this list of names. Um, but uh, here's what I want to say. This list of names is not a waste of our time. Right? And that's why we're going to look at it, why we're going to take, uh, take some time uh, to look at it. Uh, did anybody go to the Christmas parade uh, yesterday? Anybody go to the Christmas parade? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a great time. Yeah, we hung out here and, uh, you know, had a great time. People throwing, there's all kinds of candy left out there too, by the way. If you, you need some candy, just go pick some up. Um, but uh, the genealogies in the Bible are like a parade, right? They're like a parade of names, Right, getting us to the to the to the grand finale, uh, which is Jesus. Um, genealogies are they are common in the Bible, um, but they're not everywhere in the Bible. So that's that's good news. So when you read the Bible, the whole thing is not just uh, ancient genealogies. There are genealogies in there, but they're only really mainly in two very important places. Okay. Genealogies occur in the first book of the Bible, which is Genesis. And there are 10 of them, 10 genealogies, and they really function like a fast-forward button, right? 
So you have the beginning of time and the creation of all things, and then God hits fast forward with a bunch of genealogies to get you to one man. And that one man is Abraham. And then it, you click it, it, it clicks and it hits play. And then you read the story about Abraham and his, and his family uh, and his children. The second place uh, that genealogies are found in the Bible is the last book of the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible, is the book of Chronicles. Right? Now, Jesus made it clear that the Bible that he had, the Hebrew Bible, was, it was, the order was a little bit different. So the Hebrew Bible ends with Chronicles. Okay? So has anybody read the uh, first uh, chapters of the book of Chronicles? It, it's very inspiring. It's nine chapters of names. Right? It's just name after name after name after name. But there's only nine genealogies in the book of Chronicles. So the Bible begins with genealogies, the first book of the Bible, first book of the Old Testament, and the, the last book of the Old Testament has, so it's like a bookend, right? So there are 10 genealogies in Genesis, nine in Chronicles. So the book of Chronicles ends with a cliffhanger. Where's the 10th genealogy? There's supposed to be 10 here. So it ends with a dot, 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 to be continued. Well, then you turn the page, and there's a list of names. In the book of Matthew, what we just looked at, there's the 10th genealogy um, saying to us that um, the whole first part of the Bible, the whole Old Testament, right, is pointing us forward to the birth of this child, Jesus, the birth of the Messiah, this one who was born uh, by uh, Mary. So uh, here's what's going on. You guys with me? Here's what's going on. When Jesus uh, comes, uh, it's basically saying, this is not the beginning. This is not the beginning, right? When Jesus uh, started his ministry, he didn't say, all right, y'all, let's get it started. That's not what he said. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. What he's saying is that, listen, there's a long history, a long story, a lot of promises that God made, and they're being fulfilled right now uh, in your very midst. Look, look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20. It's talking about Jesus. For every one of God's promises is yes in him. You see that? All the promises of the prophets, all the Old Testament, every promise that was made, all of them find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So when we see Jesus, he is all of God's promises kept. Promises that God made from the very beginning. So here's what we want to talk about this morning. God keeps his promises. All right, that's what we're going to look at. God keeps his promises, and we're going to break that down word for word. All right, so the first word is God. God. Yeah, God keeps his promises. Maybe you're here this morning and you struggle with the idea of God, right, or, or the, the God of, of the Bible. Uh, maybe you're here and um, maybe you're more agnostic, right? You, you believe something's out there, but you don't really know who it is or, 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 or whatever, and uh, uh, regardless, this passage is good news for all of us here, right? Because it tells us that there is a God who is there, all right? There is a God who's faithful. Look at, look at uh, Hebrews 11, uh, verse 6. Look what it says. Now, without faith is it impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists. See that? And that he rewards those who seek him. Now, this passage says that it talks about faith, 
Now, when it says without faith it's impossible to please God, it it doesn't mean blind faith. It doesn't mean that Christians are just just stepping out in the dark and just hoping hoping it's real, hoping it's true. That's not what Christians believe. All right, we believe in a God who is there, who exists. Matter of fact, he has to be there. If he doesn't exist, our lives don't make any sense. If he doesn't exist, our lives are meaningless. Right? So I'll give you an example. Good and evil don't make sense without the God of the Bible. Good and evil don't make any sense without the God of the Bible. This is, what, this is what's called the moral argument for the existence of God. And people have believed this for, for hundreds of years. The moral argument for the existence of God. Here's, here's what that is. If there is no God, there are no grounds, no basis outside of ourselves and our little feelings and personal opinions that there is such a thing as good and evil. So, if you don't think that the God of the Bible exists, then it's just your opinion. That's why the prevailing view of what is right and wrong in our culture is it's a social construct. What that means is we as people just said, yeah, this is, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. But it doesn't really have any bearing on any reality. It's not real. Right, so if there is no God, stop whining and complaining about what upsets you because it doesn't matter. It ultimately doesn't matter. Why are you getting upset? Um, Friedrich Nietzsche. Friedrich Nietzsche. Um, you guys been reading him lately? I didn't think so. Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, he was a German philosopher. He's associated with something called nihilism. Right? And uh, let me tell you, we got a lot of nihilists running around our community. I talk to them all the time. They don't know that's what they are, but they live as if there is no God and their lives are meaningless. All right, there is no uh, right and wrong, ultimately. In one of his books, um, he tells a story about the madman. All right, I want to read it to you. Here it is. The madman jumped into their midst and pierced them with his eyes. Whither is God, right? He's telling the story to illustrate his philosophy. Where is God? He cried, I'll tell you, we have killed him. You and I, all of us are his murderers. What were we doing when we unchained this earth from its son? What were we doing when we said there is no God? There is no such thing as right and wrong. It's all meaningless. Whither is 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 the world moving now? Whither are we moving? Away from all sons? Are we not plunging continually? Backward, sideward, forward, in all directions? Is there still any up and down? Right? You see what he's saying? Once you say there is no God, right, you unchain him from everything, that means we don't know which way we're going, backwards, forwards, or, or, or what. Now, he's not talking literally, right? He's talking about if there is anything such as morality, right and wrong, um, I'll give you an example. 1966, Time Magazine, uh, the cover was, Is God Dead? 1966. Fast forward 2017, the cover read, Is Truth Dead? So if there is no God, the logical conclusion is there is no truth. All right? Once you unchain God, you can no longer make any moral judgments about right and wrong. Um, and this is what Nietzsche believed. And so a lot of people in our, in our, our community and our culture also believe. But the problem with this is um, it isn't livable. No one lives like this, right? Because I'm sure if Nietzsche, 
uh, old, good old Friedrich went down to the bank and he said, I'd like to, I'd like to withdraw some money today. And they said, nah, we're going to keep that today. That's ours. You think he would have got upset? Yeah, everybody would. Because we, we, everybody believes that stealing is wrong, regardless of what community you belong to or what country that, country that you live in. Uh, another guy, uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, he was one time an atheist. He converted to Christianity, and this is what he said in his, his, his little book, The Weight of Glory. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And here's his point. Christians, we don't believe in God because we see him. Right? Do you see God? No. You've never seen Jesus. We believe in him. This is what he's saying. It's not that just we just see him, right? It's that by, by him we see everything else. Without him, life doesn't make sense. Without him, there is no basis for morality. There is no basis to say, hey, that's wrong, right? Um, we, uh, we are able to see by him there is such a thing as good because he's good, and he created us in his image and in his own likeness, and he had planted that sense of right and wrong in our hearts, that oughtness. And we say things like, you ought to do this, right? And... He is revealed to us in the scriptures, in the Bible. He says, hey, this is what we ought to do. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't lie. These things like this. He's revealed to us what is right and wrong. You see, here's the whole point. God is there. God, God is there. You know? Um, you know, I've learned over the years that belief in God is not a matter of, like, debating. It's not a matter of, it's not a rational problem. Right? It's a moral problem. This, is what, this was what Paul said when he was telling everyone about the good news of Jesus. Look at what he says in Romans 1, 8, 18-19. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You see that? Belief in God is not a matter of, of evidence and trying to figure it out. We don't want to believe in the, God in the Bible because we push the truth down in our sin and in our unrighteousness. We refuse to believe that God is actually there, right? So look what it says, since what can be known about God is evident among them. It's clear. Nothing makes sense without God because God has shown it to them. The problem with belief in God is that we want what we want, right? We want what we want and, you know, no one's going to tell us what to do. That, that, that is the problem with uh, belief in God. And this is, this is exactly what God's promises are all about. Right? God keeps his promises. He, see, God's promises are an intervention in our lives. They are God showing up and saving us from ourselves, saving us from our self-destruction, self-delusion, right? And, and all those type of things. See, God created us in his image uh, to be a blessing to the world. That's why you're here. God created you to bless the world, to fill it full of love and goodness and truth and beauty and the knowledge of him. But because we want what we want, which is just another way of talking about sin, right, we end up becoming a curse. That's what the scriptures make clear. We, we, we aren't uh, as big of a blessing as we think. Right? We, we don't bless other people the way that, that we should or, or, or God's world, right? So the question the Bible is trying to answer from the very beginning is, what's God going to do about this? What is God going to do? 
He put us here to be a blessing, but we end up becoming a curse because of sin. And that's when we come to Abraham. Right? That's, when we, that's when we come to Abraham. God calls Abraham out of pagan idolatry, blesses him, and says, Abraham, I want you to go out and I want you to be a blessing to everybody. And matter of fact, through you, one of your descendants, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. I'm going to fix it all through you, Abraham. Right? So God made a covenant with him. God made a solemn, committed promise uh, to um, Abraham. But you know what? Abraham fails miserably over and over and, and over again. I'll give you one example. There was a famine in the land. Abraham uh, took his bride, um, Sarah. They went down to Egypt. And Abraham had a little talk with her on the way. and says, all right, listen up. Here's what we're going to do. Because you're attractive, I want you to pretend that you are my sister. Okay, because we get down there, right, and your reputations begin to spread. They're going to kill me to get to you. Right, so that's what they did. She went down, and they, they said, that's my sister, right? So her reputation spread, and Pharaoh's servants took her and made her a part of uh, his harem, uh, which was a bunch of women that he could just have, have his way with. So Abraham basically participated in sex trafficking, right? And, uh, you know, God uh, was gracious and, um, and protected uh, Sarah because he's faithful to keep his promises because he, he was going to save the world through Sarah, and he uh, sent plagues to Pharaoh's house, and eventually Pharaoh let them uh, go. And the purpose of these stories is not to say, look how amazing Abraham was. <laughs> the, the purpose of these stories is to say, this is not what you're supposed to do. Right? He, was a cur- he became a curse to his wife. Right? Um, and uh, listen, all of Abraham's kids do the same thing. Jacob and Isaac, and they all fail miserably. And this is why it is so important that God keeps his promises. God is the one who keeps his promise. That's the second thing we'll look at is keep. Listen, God is faithful, right? That's what this list of names is, is all about. This whole list of names is about a God who keeps his promises, about a God who does not lie. Look at uh, uh, Psalm uh, 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, and his faithful love endures forever. See that? His faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. That's what we're celebrating as a church. We're celebrating the fact that God is faithful throughout all generations. Not just back then. All generations. His faithful love endures forever. Touching you uh, here this morning. Uh, The promise that God made long ago. He kept it. He is faithful still. Let me ask you a question. Who do you trust? Who do you trust? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Who, who can you trust? Who can you really trust? That's yeah, a bad place to be in when you don't have anybody that you can trust. Right? Or you don't know what to trust. And, and that, is the, that is the world that we live in. Who can I trust? What can I trust? There's so many voices, so many competing voices uh, out there. Um, I mentioned a while back that I, uh, I took a, a, a hunting trip to Nebraska. And I was gifted this trip went, went, uh, with 10 other pastors, and we got out there, and uh, they were showing us around the ranch and stuff, riding around this uh, side by side, and I noticed a very strong odor in the air, All right? And I've told some of you guys uh, this story, and I, and I asked the owner of this ranch, I said, is that, is that sage? All right? He said, no, it's pot. Turns out, pot grows everywhere uh, wild out there. I mean, it's just fields and fields of just pot uh, everywhere, All right? So 
Uh, last night I was there, and by the way, one of these guys, one of these other pastors I had known for 20 years, one of my, one of my good uh, friends, and uh, last night I was there, I was asleep, and I woke up, there's something scratchy, something itchy in my bed. I'm like, what is this on my bed? There's something on my bed. Like I, like I was camping, and there was leaves, I was sleeping on leaves. What is this? Went back to sleep, put my hand on my pillow, my hand on my, what is underneath my pillow? It was a pot branch like this long, right? So my buddy, uh, who was a pastor, took that pot branch and slipped it. Some of y'all are freaking out that I'm just saying the word pot so many times. I didn't do it. Uh, put a pot branch underneath my pillow, right? And let me tell you, I broke out in hives all over my body. I'm talking for like a month. It was the worst thing. It, it was, I got scars. I literally have scars on my body from uh, this, this pot. Right? It turns out it, it's actually hemp. I did a little research. It's, look, you can drug test me this morning, I promise you. I'm good. Um, it, 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 was, it was hemp. But my point is I've got some friends that are not very trustworthy. Right? Matter of fact, I'm going to fight that guy. Yeah, I'm going to fight another pastor when I see him next time. Um, listen, we live in a world of unfaithfulness. We live in a world of mistrust and lies. Um, there, there's something called the Edelman Trust Barometer. This actually exists. The Edelman Trust Barometer. They, they interviewed 36,000 people from 28 countries uh, this year. And uh, do you want to know the number one finding that they, they, they found? 36,000 people from 28 different countries. Here's the, num- the top finding. Distrust is now society's default emotion. That is the gear that we're stuck in is, I don't know what to trust. I don't know what's going on. I don't know who's telling the truth. I don't know who I can trust um, um, or anything. Like we live in a world of uh, fake news, conspiracy theories, echo chambers, and confirmation bias. All right? And maybe that's, see, this is the water that we swim in, and we come to this Bible that says, all right, you can trust God. And it makes it difficult, right? It makes it difficult to um, know who we can trust uh, in the community and have friends and things like that. Uh, but this is where this list of names comes in, and it helps us. Uh, look, at, look at what it says, Matthew 1.1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So God made a promise to both of these men, both to Abraham and to David, that one of their descendants, someone in their family tree, would be the Messiah. He would be the promised king. But here's the deal. There was a whole lot of time that passed between God and God gave that promise and when he kept it. Matter of fact, when he, God made the promise to Abraham until Jesus Christ came into the world, how many years y'all think that was? 2,000, yes. And then he came. Jesus Christ came. And how many years has it been since he, he was born? 2,000. Yes, and that Jesus grew up, became a man, had a ministry, and you know what he said? I'm coming again. I'm coming again, right? And that's what, that's what Advent is really all about. Advent is about the arrival of the Christ again. That's what we're here doing. We are here celebrating the fact that he, he arrived, but we're also looking forward to the fact when he arrives again. We just sang that, right? He's going to split the clouds we just sang. We said, come, right? And he's going he to come again, Right? But God does not say to us, hey, it, hey, man, this is your world, and I'm just, I'm just trying to fit in. This is your world, I'm just trying to live in it. Matter of fact, give me your timetable, and I'll fit into your timetable. That's not the way he works. 
He's got a different schedule. He's got a different uh, timetable. We live in the world of Amazon today, don't we? Amazon today. And, and, you know, it's the holiday season, so you go on to Amazon to buy something. You're like, oh, oh, man, I, uh, it's not coming in two days, right? It's, it's going to be out there because they got a lot of stuff they're trying to, uh, to fulfill. All right, listen to, uh, listen to what 2 Peter 3.9 says. The Lord does not delay his promise. See that? The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So, so it can seem like, well, okay, what is God doing? Where is God at work? He is not faithful to his promises. All right, it's been a long time. I haven't seen him. You haven't seen him. Where, where, where is he? Right? Well, he is being patient with his promise. He is being patient so that many, many, many people can come to believe in Jesus, repent of their sin, be baptized, and come to know him. That's why, that's why God takes so long. Not because he's not faithful. He's the opposite. He's very faithful. His faithful love endures forever to all, all generations. And here's what that means. Nothing can stop his faithfulness. Nothing will stop God's faithfulness. Nothing will keep him from keeping his. Let me say that again. Nothing will keep God from keeping his promise. Not even unfaithfulness. Not even our unfaithfulness. Not even our sin. See, God keeps his promise despite all of our unfaithfulness. God keeps his promise despite all of our, our sin. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, Genesis 15. I encourage you to go home and read that this afternoon. Genesis 15 is a, is a beautiful story um, where God um, and Abraham have this solemn assembly, where uh, a solemn ceremony where, where Abraham confirms the promise that he made to him in the beginning. He confirms the covenant. He has Abraham go get some animals. Abraham goes get the animals, cuts them in half, just like these, these pews right here. One half of the animals on this side, the other half on this side. And this was a, this was a covenant ceremony Right? And the, the two parties that would walk through those, they would walk through the path of those bloody animals, and they were basically saying, listen, if we don't keep our word, then may we become like these animals, ripped apart, dead. Right? Except God gives Abraham the holy laughing gas. Right? He puts him in a little bit of a sleep and a stupor, right? and it says that God appeared in fire walking through the, the pieces. So here's what that means. Abraham contributed nothing to God's promise. As a matter of fact, you read the very next story, he screwed up big time. He, he screwed up big time. Um, Abraham contributed nothing to the covenant, nothing to the promise. And you know what? We don't either. We don't contribute anything to God's promise and his faithfulness. God's promise is the promise that he keeps. It's about his faithfulness. He is the one who keeps his covenant, keeps his uh, promise. God is faithful to keep his promises, and we see that in Jesus. All right, we see that in the fact that Jesus came. See that in the fact that Jesus lived and had a three-year ministry of teaching and healing, that he lived a life of righteousness on our behalf, and that he went to the cross. Look at, look at the stories of Jesus in the book of Matthew. Everywhere he went, it was like a, it was like a desert. And you just see life happening. You see people being healed. You see the truth being taught. You see love spreading, real community um, happening. 
right? And then, so Jesus was blessing everyone, and then he went to the cross and was cursed by God. That at the cross, Jesus became a curse for us, in our place, on our behalf, and he, that curse led him down into the grave where he died. All right, that's where the curse of sin leads. You see, but even death and even sin and even unfaithfulness and even devil and all the legions of uh, demons in hell could not stop the faithful uh, love of God. Right? And Jesus will return again one day. And what a glorious day that will be when Jesus Christ cracks the sky open. I love, I love the Christmas hymn because the one that says, May his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. I cannot wait that day, to that day when the blessings of Christ overflow this uh, wretched heart of mine. And I don't have to be tempted anymore. I don't have to sin anymore and feel the stain and guilt and the the just the nastiness of sin and be free from the presence of sin and the devil and this old miserable body of mine that's going to decay. Right? God keeps his promises. And the last thing is this, is they're his promises. They're his promises. See, God keeps his promises. That's what he's faithful to. That is what God, uh, God is faithful. God is not faithful to our dreams or, or whatever little plans we got or, or, or what, anything like that. Um, or what we wish would happen. He is faithful to his promise. Thank God he is. Um, I was talking with someone recently, and they, not a Christian. They were basically saying, this is what you guys believe. You guys believe that when your car breaks down, you guys believe stuff like this. When your car breaks down, you just pray and God's going to zap it and fix it. And I said, listen, I don't know of any stable Christian that believes anything like that. Right? This is what we, this is, this is what, this is my response to him. God never keeps promises that he didn't make. God never keeps promises that he didn't make. Right, I see Christians doing this all the time, making their lives miserable. This is what they do. This is what we do. All right. I'm going to do this. And when I do this, if this happens, then I'll know it's God. But if that happens, then I'll know it wasn't God. Probably not. Because that's not the way that God works. He never promised anything like that. This is what we do, though. Say, all right, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. And when I do that, I'm going to watch and see what happens. Right? And then if that happens, then I'll know that's not you. But if this happens, then I'll know it's you. Right? No. That is not the way we're trying to, we have, that's magic and witchcraft or something. I don't know. Uh, that is not the Christian life. This is why it's so important to continue to read the Bible. Right? Like, listen, Chris, we ought to be like uh, uh, panning for gold in the Bible. We ought to be mining the, the Bible for, for gold all, all the time. So, you ever watch the uh, shows or maybe you did it, you tried to pan for gold? Has anybody ever tried to pan for gold? Nobody. All right. Cool. Um, that's just not any gold around here. Yeah, painted for gold, and they got some little, like, maybe like one little flake in there. Listen, when you go to the Bible, you don't need a pan, right? There's, like, nuggets in there. You can see. You just go down and pick them up, right? There, there, there are nuggets of God's promises all throughout the Bible. So that's why we got to study the Bible and read the Bible, know the Bible, and memorize the Bible. This is why every week we're constantly encouraging people to plug into community group. Here's why. You need that. You need to be reminded of God's promise. You need to be taught God's promises on, on, a, on a regular basis. You know what? You need to be encouraged. You need to be encouraged, and so does your family, your wife, kids, brother, sister, grandma, aunt, cousin, uh, whoever. Uh, bring them all out, neighbor. 
Let me, let me put it to you. What are God's promises? You need to know that as a Christian. What are his promises? You ought to know that. You ought, you ought, to, you ought to know that. But here, here's, here's one of the big ones. His promise is to save you. His promise is to save you. Look at uh, uh, Matthew one twenty one. This is the angel talking to Joseph. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. I promise you because he will save his people from their sins. Right? He will save his people from their sins. Uh, I have a great dame. If you guys you don't know it, Lulu. She's a good dog. She used to uh, like to tree our cats. Right? She was great at it. She would chase the cats, run them right up a tree, and I would have to go break out the ladder, climb up the ladder, save the cats, you know, shoo them out the tree uh, from great heights, and uh, then she would go tree them on, uh, on another tree, right? But I would have to save the cats. See, Jesus came down to save us. Jesus came down to save us from our sin at the cross and through his burial, through his resurrection, and, 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 and the fact that he's going to return, Right? Jesus came to save us from our sin. That is the biggest, best, most great promise that, that he could give us. And our response to that ought to be trust. Our response to God's promise ought to be, his faithfulness ought to be, yes, I believe it. I, I bank everything on it. Just like when I got up on that ladder, I was trusting. Christians, we don't believe in blind faith. Just like when I got up on that ladder and grabbed a hold of it, I believed it was going to hold me. God did something in the world. He did something in this dark world. He sent the Christ who died for us, who was resurrected for us. And we ought to believe uh, in that. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 says. For you are saved by grace through faith. You see that? That is how we are saved. We are saved through faith. Right? And it's not the strength of our faith. It doesn't say, hey, listen, it is the strength of your faith that saves you. How much you believe. If you just believe enough, then God will save you. No, it says that actually your faith is a gift of God. Did you know that, Christian? That the ability to believe in Jesus is God's grace. Look at it. You are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourself. It's a Christmas gift. It's God's gift. The fact that you believe in Jesus, that didn't come from you, your own effort. If so, then to you be all the praise and glory. But it's not. It's a gift from God, and may his name be praised. All right? It's not from works. God doesn't save us because we're, we're, we're good moral people. God doesn't save us because of your voting record. God doesn't save us because of your church attendance or anything like that or what family you're from or, or where you live. God saves through faith in his promises. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus your Savior? Is Jesus your Savior? Because he came uh, to save, right? Uh, have, you come, have you come to have faith in God's faithfulness uh, in Christ, right? See, in this dark, cold world, God did something. He sent the Christ into this world, and we ought to take him at his word, right? And we ought to, we ought to believe in him. Have you come to believe in this? Is Christ. If so, then he's not just your Savior, he's your Lord. It means he's your master, he's your Messiah, he's your King, so you ought to follow him in baptism. All right, and that's what we'll be celebrating uh, um, next week. If you're here and, you, and you've come to believe in Jesus even just now, then you need to be baptized next week. 
And uh, we would love to celebrate what he's doing in your life. What if you're already baptized? What if you're here and you're already saved and you're already baptized? Um, What are his promises? Here's a big one. His promise is to continue to save you from your sin. See, God is faithful to do that. God is faithful to his promises. Uh, Look at uh, Hebrews 10, um, 13 to 14. This is from the message translation. It's, It's beautiful. It's talking about the death of Jesus. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. I love that. Right? We are very imperfect people. That's us. Sinners. Broken. Busted. In need. Beggars. Sinners. We're imperfect. But there was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person, and that is what perfects us. Right? It is through continuing to come back to uh, God's uh, promises in, in Christ. And listen, you can bank your entire life on the promises of God. You can build your entire life on top of the promises of God. You can set the weight of all your hopes, dreams, disappointments, flaws, faults, all on the promises of God. They are that sturdy. You ought to trust Him. Matter of fact, he demands that you do for your own good. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and then he will make your path straight. Look at this, this beautiful passage from uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, 3 and 4. This is so amazing. We could spend weeks on this, months. His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything required for life. What? We have everything we need for life. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, by his glory and goodness, he has given us. God has given us this Christmas gift of his very great and precious promises. Do you see that? That God gave us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature and escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Um, there's, a, there's a website called the Babylon Bee and uh, it's a satirical website meaning they're just making fun of people. Right? And they're doing it to, to, get, to get the truth out there. If you're having a bad day or a bad week, just go on the Babylon Bee and just, just read a couple of their uh, articles. They're all made up but they're meant to communicate truth through humor. Um, it's called satire. We need to, we need to bring that back. But um, uh, I, uh, I found this uh, article. Here's the title of the article. Man slips into deep depression after finishing the last of his Thanksgiving leftovers. It's fake. It's, it's, it's a fictional story. Man slips into deep depression after finishing the last of his Thanksgiving leftovers. So it's a fake story. Uh, about this guy named Chad Pullman. And they interviewed Chad, and here's what they said. Here's what it said. I looked in the fridge now. Oh, I look in the fridge now, and all I see is emptiness. Pullman continued, what am I supposed to have for lunch today? Lunch meat, string cheese, carrot sticks, what, I'm an animal? Pullman's wife reminded him that not all the leftovers were gone. And she had uh, just made a nice pot of turkey soup. She's trying, but it's just soup. 
It's not the same, Pullman sobbed, right? See, the good news is that God's promises are not like Thanksgiving leftovers. I love Thanksgiving leftovers myself, but they run out. God's promises run over. That is, from his infinite glory, from his infinite goodness, flow all these very great and precious uh, promises. So first Peter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Go back uh, one slide on that. Yeah, his divine power has given us everything required for life. Do you believe that? Through your knowledge of him, by knowing God. Here's what it says. You have more than you need in Christ and way more than you deserve because it's all a gift of his grace, right? And it says that his promises are an overflow. Go on to the next one. Well, who called us by his own glory and goodness. Go to the next slide. No, you went back. Go forward. Yeah, go forward. Yeah, one more right there. By these, by his own glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Look at this. So that through them you may share in the divine nature. All right, here's what that means. It is by trusting in God's faithfulness, trusting in his promises, that you become faithful like his son, the Lord Jesus. That's what it means to share in the divine nature, that you start to walk like him and talk like him, right? That doesn't mean perfection, but it does mean progress. Christians are supposed to grow. We're supposed to, uh, to progress. And as we become more like him, more like his son, Lord Jesus, more faithful, right? Then we escape the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. We don't just want to do what we want to do anymore. We want to do what he wants us to do. We want to trust him and honor uh, and, and obey him. It is through God's promise that we escape from this deceptive, corrupt, evil, and confusing world. And these things come to us as we continue to trust in him. And see, God is faithful. God is faithful to keep his promises, and he will do it. He will do everything that he said. He will accomplish all of, it, all of his promises, and we ought to trust him. That's what we want to do now. As we respond, we want to, we want to respond with faith in, uh, in, in God, right? So we're going to do that by celebrating uh, the Lord's Supper.